Welcome to another Calvary Baltimore B-Side with our senior pastor, Josh Plantholt. B-Sides are a companion to the weekly sermon, giving an in-depth look behind the teaching. Now with running commentary to complement this week's sermon, here's Pastor Josh. Uh, welcome to uh, B-Side. We are in Revelation chapter 14 today. We will be looking at verses 12 and 13, again, of Revelation 14. Uh, some fun stuff to look at here. Uh, let's hop right into verse 12. Here is a call for the endurance of the saints, those who keep the commandments of God. Th this may this may seem like a really small point, but I can assure you it is not. There are many in the American church today who claim to be apostles. I've met some of them. <laughs> and biblically, an apostle is someone who was given authority, was given a special authority, and who was sent out by Jesus during Jesus's earthly ministry. And these people who met face-to-face -face with the Lord, which makes Paul so fascinating because he met with the Lord, the resurrected Lord, um, these apostles who met face-to-face -face with the Lord were then given special authority to teach people with the authority of Christ. Uh, again, not, not quite, the, you know, they weren't the Son of God in that sense, but they were given the authority to speak on behalf of God, very similar to like a true prophet of God. Um, and, and in fact, when you, when you go through the book of Acts, um, it says that those who, who received his word were baptized and added uh, that day were about 3,000 souls. And so the, the converts, this is, this is how they learned who God was, verse, Acts 2, 42. And they devoted themselves to the apostles' teaching. The apostles were, were very similar to how Jesus drew crowds and taught them and everything Jesus said and taught was scripture. Uh, that's what God had given the authority uh, to the apostles to do. Um, and so when someone claims today to be an apostle by the title that they are given or give themselves, if we're going to be biblically consistent, they are claiming but that they have been given the authority that their sermons, their, their writings, their books are on par with the Holy Scriptures. The people who call themselves apostles today would not hopefully say that about themselves, right? But biblically, apostles were given authority to preach and write Scripture. So hear me. There are no more living apostles today. They all have passed away. They are all dead. And it is on this truth that the Bible was assembled and not continually added to. If there were still living apostles who had the authority of Christ to write scripture, the Bible would be an ongoing book. But the, the early guys knew early, early, early on, they constantly deferred to the teachings of the apostles. 
because those men were given the authority to speak the word of God inerrantly through inspiration of the Holy Spirit. And so there are no more apostles today, which means that when someone writes a book, whether good or bad, if they call themselves an apostles, that does not mean that their word is on par with the Holy Scripture, regardless of what their title may say about themselves. Um, and the reason I'm stopping here, because it's talking about the commandments of God, which I flushed through on Sunday, is really everything that we read in the Gospels and things that the apostles wrote, um, is because I was dealing with someone who came out of a very Pentecostal uh, background. Uh, her name is Terry, uh, my dear sister. Uh, and um, she she had a book. And the person was calling themselves an apostle, a prophet. Uh, and she wrote, she was reading this book and it really disturbed her conscience because what this man was saying was contrary to the word of God. And she was confused because how could God tell this person to write this when it is in direct contradiction to what God said earlier in, in his Bible? And I said, Terry, do you think, I said, apostles can write scripture, right? And she said, yeah. I said, are you telling me this person, that this apostle's writings are on par with the Bible? And she said, well, no. I said, okay. So if someone writes something that contradicts the word of God, is the problem with the writing or the word of God? And she goes, okay. <laughs> you know, just because someone says that they have a word from God or they have the authority to write for God as an apostle, that does not mean that it's true. Uh, and, and again, we have to be very careful here. And so if something contradicts the word of God, no matter what someone says about themselves or where they say it came from, uh, it's to be regarded as false. Remember, Paul even said, if an angel comes to you and bears another gospel, it's not true. It's not true. If anything contradicts the teachings of the apostles that we have in the New Testament or the gospel of Jesus Christ, the Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John, uh, we, we must regard those things as false in the Bible as true because the Bible is inherently infallible. <laughs> it's perfect. It's completed. Uh, and so, again, this may seem like a small point, but especially for those that have come out of charismatic circles, uh, this is a really, really strong foundation that, that you have to think through and, and understand. Because just because someone says, thus saith the Lord, doesn't necessarily mean thus saith the Lord. Um, so again, verse, verse 12, uh, here is a call for the endurance of the saints and those who keep the commandments of God and their faith in Jesus. Verse 13, And I heard a voice from heaven saying, Write this, Blessed are the dead who die in the Lord from now on. Let's pause. Who is blessed that die from now on? Is this talking only about those who die in the end times? Uh, when is now on? Uh, and here's my thinking. I, I believe this is a special note to the end times church during the great tribulation that God is going to bless them for enduring through all of this. This end times church is going to go through hell on earth. And there is a special blessing, a provision bracketed in here for them that this 
this running for their life as they fled into the wilderness, if they've been hunted, if they've been maligned, there is a special blessing and, and rest that is coming to them. However, I also believe that this, this, this blessing is also speaking to us. Now, the reason I think that is because if you, if you, I want you to think back to the opening verses of this book. Uh, in Revelation 1, verse 1, let's read it. The revelation of Jesus Christ, which God gave him to show to his servants the things that must soon take place. He made it known. There's that word Samino, and just a little pause on that. Uh, God communicated the the this revelation uh Samino through images. So I take a lot of this scripture very literally, but we're we're told right off the jump that we need to start expecting pictures and images. So there's going to be a lot of metaphors and types. And uh, just because we see, um, oh boy, a woman riding a dragon, it doesn't necessarily mean that that's an actual woman and an actual dragon. Uh, you know, they could be representations of something, uh, which they are. Uh, even the most literalist people believe that. But uh, so we need to look for these images. And again, I, I grew up in a tradition where almost everything was taken as literally as possible. And here we are in verse one of the book. And it's like, no, that's not the God. In fact, the default should be to look for images. Uh, as is, we're told it was communicated to us in, in verse one. Anyways, besides the point, he made it known by sending his angel to his servant, John, who bore witness to the word of God and to the testimony of Jesus Christ, even to all that he saw. Blessed is the one who reads aloud the words of this prophecy. You ready? And blessed are those who hear and who keep what is written in it for the time is near. The blessing in chapter one. And in chapter 14 are to the same kind of person. Those who hear, who keep, uh, hear and keep God's commandments. And though chapter 14 has its eyes set on the future, chapter one has its eyes set on us. So I believe the from now on here is speaking to the future church, but because it's building upon the promises, the blessings that are already established in chapter one, uh, that also tells us that this in some way also applies to us because it's building upon those principles. In fact, it shares a lot of the same commonalities. There's the same, same word for blessing there for us. So another clue that this from now on may also be to us is because the voice from heaven tells John to what? To write. So a voice from heaven tells John specifically to write this down, which is we should we should have a little note here because John John's writing everything down. <laughs> it seems he should be anyways. Got everything God shows him, he's to record. But he says, I want you to write this down. Well, that should make us think, who is this being written to? 
Well, the, 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 what, who this is written to, we just read it, were to the seven churches in Asia Minor in the first century. This is what this was, this is what all this is written to. So God gives a special note from heaven that those who endure and keep God's commandments and have faith in Jesus, they are blessed. And then again, that seems to be to the future church. But again, building upon what we've already seen, that special note to write, it seems to be also that it is to the seven churches that are in Asia Minor. Now, if you want to indulge me for one second, I wasn't planning on doing this, but here we go. The seven churches in Asia Minor are, are the seven letters in Revelation chapter 2 and 3 only to those seven churches, or are they like the epistles to be used for the church at all times? Well, of course, the letters are addressing specific problems to those churches, but they're also for the church as a whole, which is why there are seven churches. There's a reason John didn't, or John wasn't instructed to write five letters to five churches or 50 letters to 50 churches. The reason there are seven are because of the specific note of seven, the numerological significance of seven throughout the Bible, seven being whole or complete. So when we see seven churches, numerologically, that means the whole church. So this seven is a little microcosm of the church as a whole, all the different facets of the church and the problems that arise and the faithfulness that arise. And so it stands for the church as a placeholder through all generations. So those who it is writing to um, is specifically to those seven churches, but those seven churches are, again, a little microcosm, a little placeholder for the church, uh, for all the churches through all the age. So again, this is also applying to us. So, God has a special note of blessings uh, and says, you know, those who, who endure, who keep the commandments, who keep the faith, they are blessed. And then we keep reading verse 13. Blessed indeed, there's a double, says the Spirit, that they may rest from their labors for their deeds follow them. Uh, follow them. Three things here. First, we notice that we have the sun, or we have the voice from heaven. Sorry, my, my screen's all caught up. We have the voice from heaven, and we have the spirit. The voice from heaven's probably God, probably the Father, maybe Jesus. But uh, if we remember, Jesus is on Zion in the early portion, portion of 14. So is it Jesus speaking from Zion, or is it the Father from the throne? I'm inclined to think the Father, but it could be the Son. But either way, we have a voice from heaven that seems to be God, and then the Spirit agrees. What is the biblical principle of two witnesses? <laughs> When two people say something in agreeance, it's not only true, it's admissible in court. It's usable. Uh, it, it, it's doubly true. It's certainly true. The, the, the promise is corroborated. It's agreed upon. And here the Spirit is agreeing upon what this voice in heaven is declaring. So this blessedness is certainly true. This rest is undoubtedly true because we have two witnesses, heavenly witnesses, divinic uh, uh, witnesses, who say that it's true. Secondly, I want you to remember in our second message, what did we see? Babylon is fallen, fallen. What do we see in our third messenger? The blessed, the saved, right? The, those who endure to the end, who baname, who uh, keep God's commandments, the teachings of the apostles, and, and of course the four gospels, and, and of course the revelation as well. 
and who have three, the faith uh, in Jesus Christ, who keep the faith, right? They are blessed, blessed. So those who follow the, the Antichrist, the beastly system of evil, will partake in a system of fallen, fallen. But those who follow the Lamb, wherever he goes, who partake of Christ, who uh, sat at his table in the Eucharist, who've been baptized in the waters and born again, they are blessed, blessed. So we have two people that are fallen, fallen, and blessed, blessed. And the doubling of the word there is is adds to the intensity of it. So not, Babylon isn't just fallen, it's fallen, fallen. It is a heap of ruin, ruin. It is unsalvageable ruin. Uh, and then what we see is that the believer is not only blessed, which is incredible, but we are blessed, blessed. We are immensely blessed, uh, blessed without ever losing our blessedness, a blessedness that never diminishes. We are blessed, blessed. Uh, and that's just really cool there. And then thirdly, the context of the saint's purity here, uh, the, the faithfulness, our faithfulness, the the enduring to the end, the, the keeping the commandments, the faith in Jesus Christ. Oh, we have to remember that all of 12 and 13 isn't written on an island by itself. It is within a larger context. And the larger context of verses 12 and 13 is the third message. And the third message was within a larger context of everything that we just read in the second half of the book of Revelation. And that's the persecution of the church under the Antichrist and the beastly system. So those who endure, keep the commandments, and keep the faith, this, this endurance, keeping commandments, keeping faith, is under the context of persecution. This isn't talking about enduring when life is easy. This is talking about enduring when life is hard. And this commandment keeping is talking about not only being framed by what the believer does, but also by what the believer doesn't do. You see, it's it's really easy, it's easier to be good, to do good, when you're surrounded by good and good influence. It's a lot harder to do good and say no to bad when you are surrounded by bad. And so the believer isn't only marked by what we do by keeping commandments, by enduring, by keeping the faith, our our, ex, our exertion, uh, but by also what we resist and refrain from. If we remember, we just read all about Babylon and how she is polluted the world with her sexual sin. The believer doesn't take part in that. The believer is separated from that. Uh, the the believer doesn't have take part in the in the sins of Babylon and sexual sins. Doesn't sin like the world. And this is not easy. <laughs> As our culture grows more and more perverse, it becomes more and more difficult to say no, to turn the other cheek. To it, it's re, it's not easy to be a peacemaker. It's not easy to hold your tongue. It's not easy to flee from sexual sin. It's not easy to pray from your from pray to pray for your enemies. But whoever said it was going to be easy? Paul tells us in Philippians 2.12, Therefore, my beloved, as you have always obeyed, so now, not only as in my presence, but much more in my absence, work out your own salvation with fear and trembling. 
sanctification, being sanctified, being set apart to God is a two-step process. And in some 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 Christian maturity is needed to understand this, I believe. When we come to faith in Jesus, in that instance, we are absolutely saved. We have a perfect peace with the Father. What did Jesus say? It is finished. Yes and amen. But at the same time, sanctification is the necessary continuation of the Spirit of God in the life of the believer. What I mean is when we are saved, we are set apart to God as saved. But the problem is, though we are cleansed from sin, we are still, Romans chapter 7, sinners. We still struggle with sin, is what I mean by that. We still have a fallen nature. We still are immature. We still are imperfect. And furthermore, and to boot, we are in an imperfect culture and an immature society, and in a fallen world. And so sanctification is the process by which God transforms us in heavenly places that we are sanctified in his sight, but it's also the process by which he transforms us by the renewing of our minds. And this part of sanctification, again, is a process. And it is often it is often long and arduous and really hard work and barnacle scraping and and, and, and resisting evil. I, I was thinking about Psalm one here. Blessed is the man who walks not in the counsel of the wicked. The opening of the Psalms, Jesus' book that he quotes the most, by the way, the Psalms. The opening of the Psalms begins by defining what the Christian doesn't do. They're not a part of evil culture. Blessed is the man who walks not in the counsel of the wicked, nor stands in the way of sinners, nor sits in the seat of scoffers. But, now we're going to find out what he does. His delight is in the law of the Lord, and on his law he meditates day and night. He is like a tree planted by streams of water that yields its fruit in its season, and its leaf does not wither. In all that he does, he prospers. The wicked are not so but are like chaff that the wind drives away. Therefore, the wicked will not stand in the judgment, nor sinners in the congregation of the righteous. For the Lord knows the way of the righteous, but the way of the wicked will perish. The believer is not only marked by what they do, but also by what they don't do. When God saves you, he doesn't then shoot you with a gun, with a holy gun, and now you don't sin anymore, and now you're not tempted anymore, and no, 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 I'm not tempted by any of this because I love the Lord. It just doesn't work that way. What God does when he saves us is he then sends us his spirit who teaches us and transforms us daily, little by little, step by step, day by day, week by week, year by year, decade by decade. It is a process. As Acts 2 lays out, the Spirit of God comes to his people and he drives them into the church and into the Word, the teaching of the apostles, and it is there that they are transformed into the image of the Son. But we need to be very careful here. Because our, our walking in, in perfect sanctification, it isn't 
instantaneous. It's a process. <laughs> yes, we are made right with God immediately in heavenly places, but in our old man, in our fleshly nature, it's a process. And because it's a process, that means we need to be on guard against going through the motions. <laughs> it's really easy to get fired up for something for a day. It's much more difficult to be fired up about something for a month. And it's even more difficult to do this for a lifetime. You see, in our flesh, we can get so on autopilot about going through the motions, about reading our Bible and prayer and coming to church every Sunday. And it's very easy to lose track of the why. Yes, study your Bible, but not primarily to pick up some morality or to read a few chapters, but we do this to, to know God better. It'd be better to read two verses a day and know God better than two chapters a day and not get any closer. And yes, prayer life. Pray, 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 pray. But not primarily to go through some checklist. You know, I even myself, like I have a, I have a set of prayers I like to go through. And, you know, sometimes you can just start knocking them out to get through this checklist or you know, some, some faith traditions, you know, you, you're trying to dodge purgatory. <laughs> or, or sometimes you feel guilty that you're not praying enough, so you just pray because you got to pray. But we don't want to pray like that. We don't want to go through the motions. Just We want to pray to be in the presence of God. To be transformed by Him. To see His kingdom come. To see His will be done on earth as it is in heaven. Do you see? We need to keep we, we need to commandment keep and we need to walk in righteousness. But we have to make sure. We have to make sure it's never disconnected from our faith, from our relationship in Christ and all that He's done for us. And so again, we, we want to make sure as we close out this teaching that we're not going through the motions. We want to make sure that all of these rules that we do and all of these systems we put in place, it's connected in a way to our faith that, that makes us want to desire not to be more spiritual, but to know God. Because if we can grow closer to God, all that other stuff is going to change with it. Because the more like Christ you become, the more <laughs> antichrist things in your life disappear or become distasteful to you, become unpleasurable to you. Uh, and so that really is, is, is the way to commandment keep. So we did it. <laughs> I love you all. Um, let's pray, huh? God, we, we pray for a wonderful day here. We ask that you help me to fix this um, technical difficulty. And uh, please, God, be with us, protect us. Help us to be godly and love you always. And in Jesus' name, we love you. Amen. I love you guys. Thanks for joining us for this Calvary Baltimore B-Side. If you'd like to get in touch or come visit us at Calvary Baltimore, our website is calvarychapelbaltimore.org. You can email us at calvary.faithlife at gmail.com. We'd love to hear from you. 
If you've been blessed by today's teaching and would like to donate to the work that God is doing through Calvary Baltimore, go to our website at calvarychapelbaltimore.org and click Donate Now. Until next time, as Pastor Josh says, study the Word, to live the Word, to share the Word. And join us again for the next Calvary Baltimore B-Side.